Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. So as we're, as we're getting seated, I just want to give you that, kind of let you know where we're going as far as our lessons are going and stuff. We finished Hot Topics, which was pretty intense. Um, that was like down on the level where you live. Um, we're getting ready to go into a series next week on Simply Jesus, and the, those those lessons are going to deal with like a lot of the relationships in our life. It's interesting, some of the hardest things that Jesus said, or some of the most profound things that Jesus said, have to do with the people that we know and the relationships in our life. So next week, we're going to talk about the people you like. I don't mean like, oh, I like him. I mean like, you know, people that, you, that, are, that are close to you. Your friends, maybe people that you like, like, and parents, you know, peop, you know, the positive should be anyway, relationships in your life. What are you supposed, how are you supposed to feel about those? And then the week after that, we're going to talk about your enemies. Uh, anybody here have enemies? Right. I, I know, I know, as soon as I said enemy, like this one person, like it was in your head. You're like, Felicia's my enemy, you know, like bye Felicia, you know, um, but like, yeah, so we're, Jesus has some things to say about those. Never forget, Jesus doesn't just, Jesus connected on a theological level, like a really like, philosophical, profound, like head in the clouds level. He also connected to, with us on a real life level, things that we can obey. So this is kind of the, I call it the in-betweeny weenie lesson. It's to bridge the gap between last month's hot topics and this month's Simply Jesus, and it's going to kind of transition us. And it's this one thing that we make sure we talk about every year because it's so important to what it means to be a Christian. So if you are in six, where are my sixth graders at? We got some people in sixth grade, right? All right. So this, this is your first great commission lesson. And where are my seniors at? We got some seniors in the house. How many, uh, how many uh, great commission lessons have you heard? Quite, probably a lot of them. We always hit it from a different angle. Um, but this is the most important command that Jesus gave us. And tonight we're calling it the great co-mission. You know how there was a candidate that ran for president. He wanted to make America great again. Um, tonight, we want to make Jesus' commission great in our lives again. I should have had like hats made for it. That would have been awesome. Um, but, but tonight, Jesus' great commission, we're going to talk about it being a co mission. Jesus doesn't ask us and didn't command us to do things on our own. He commanded us to do things together. And really, everything that you do that you enjoy, it's better together, right? Um, I, put a, I have a picture of a couple things that are better together. The first one is, there's this thing, yeah, this wasn't around much when I was like a teenager, but you, you, you want to take a friend on vacation with you, because it would be terrible for you to spend quality, meaningful time with your parents and your family on a vacation, so you want to take your biffle. You know, you want to take your best friend with you on vacation, and I know a lot of you do that, and you're like, mom, dad, can we, you know, can we bring, uh, you know, Susie Q on vacation with us, you know, because I want to I take her to the beach with us so that I can have fun. Um, some of you, like, you spend more time with your friends than anybody ever has because you see them at school, and then you go online, you, you go, like, you go home, and you don't even change out of your school clothes. You grab them. Your mom's got a Hot Pocket and chocolate milk ready. You grab them. You go into the den. You fire up the Xbox, and you're playing Fortnite with the same people that you've been talking to all day. And, you know, Fortnite would be pretty boring if it was just you, wouldn't it? Um, all of the middle school guys like, yeah, yeah. And then, and then of course, like, I don't know how many of y'all are planning to go to prom this year, um, you high schoolers. But, um, 
you know, prom would be really boring if you didn't know anybody there. So you want to know, like, who's going. Anytime we do something, like, as far as, like, youth group type stuff and we have a sign-up sheet, like, the sign-up sheet stays, like, pretty much bare until the last week leading up to it. And that's when everybody makes sure, girlfriend's going with me, or, you know, my want make sure my bros are going with me. Because everything you do, it's so much better when you do it together with people that are on your team, people that are with you, people that have your back, you know, your ride or dies or whatever you call them, you know, friends make everything better. When Jesus called us to this great commission, he didn't just call us like a lone ranger saying, you know, I want you to go and do this all by yourself. He actually told us to do it together. Um, tonight, we're going to talk about Jesus's great co-mission, meaning we work in it together. So if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew 28. We're going to look, it's the very end of the book of Matthew. It's Jesus's last words. And as we talk about that, uh, you know, as you're kind of finding your place, um, what I want you to hear and what I want you to think about is I just, I have kind of have one concern as far as like our youth group goes. And well, April and some of the leaders can tell you like a year and a half ago, two years ago, um, our youth group was a lot smaller. Um, and some of you who are older kind of remember those days and it, it was a lot of fun. We kind of had this little like, this little posse and we all knew everybody's names. I mean, I still try to memorize everybody's names and know everybody, but you know, we knew each other's names. Um, it was just like this little family, and then all of a sudden, it's like this family started populating, <laughs> you know, and instead of having like 50 teenagers on a Wednesday night, now most of the Wednesday nights were between 90 and 110 teenagers that gather together um, every, so all of a sudden, it doesn't even feel like a youth group anymore. It doesn't feel like a family anymore. It just feels like Oh my goodness, there's like this, you know, coming up the steps like at, from Tag, there's just like this sea of people, um, and we all kind of just kind of stick with our cliques, right? You know, you've got this group, you know, I'm not, I'm just, you got this group of guys that hang out together, this group of guys, and we all, we, instead of being one youth group, we're like a faction of youth groups. We're, instead of being like a family, we're like the United States Congress. You know, you got the Republicans over here, you got the Democrats over here, and you got Bernie Sanders over here, because he's his own little thing, you know, and, and. There, there, there's no unity, and Jesus calls us to unity. So tonight, as we look at the Great Commission, we're going to look at it from a very specific angle, and we're going to look at it from the fact that Jesus didn't call individuals to the Great Commission. He called a group. Tonight, when we think of a group, let's think of a youth group that's been called to the Great Commission. So Matthew 28. Oh, Jeff, I forgot to say the punchline. Um, the punchline is, together we can live and love like Jesus. That's our church's motto, by the way. Did you know that? Did you know our church had a motto? It's to make disciples that live in love like Jesus. Um, pastor says we're supposed to repeat it a lot. So we make disciples who live in love like Jesus. We make disciples who live in love like Jesus. We make disciples who live in love like Jesus. So now, yeah, I can tell him I worked it into my lesson five times. Um, so um, Matthew chapter 28, uh, even if you haven't come to church very often, you probably know this about Jesus. That Jesus said some controversial things. He claimed to be God. And because of that, he was put to death. He was crucified on a cross. Everybody following me? Every, yeah, everybody familiar with that? Maybe you saw it on a flannel graph or you saw it on a movie. And he died. He was in the grave. He was buried for three days. You know, people don't get up from the grave after being buried three days, right? Well, this thing happens. An angel comes down, rolls away the headstone, the stone that sealed his grave up, Jesus' lifeless body all of a sudden is 
re-energized with life. He gets up and he starts walking and talking, proving that he, he didn't just claim to be God, he was God. And a couple ladies who were Jesus' disciples and followers, they find him, they bump into him. It's almost like it's this kind of comedic thing. You should read it in the beginning part of Matthew 28 when you get home. This is kind of the comedic thing like they're like, hey, we're looking for Jesus. Have you seen Jesus? And all of a sudden they run into Jesus. Um, so Jesus tells these ladies, he says, hey, go get the rest of my disciples and tell them to meet me in Galilee on this hill. So, I mean, you can imagine, man, these, these ladies turn the jets on. I mean, they are just, you know, they, they get down there, they tell the rest of the disciples, hey, we saw Jesus, he's alive, there's this big debate, surely you didn't see Jesus. Maybe it's like one of those like Star Wars hologram things of Jesus or something. It obviously wasn't Jesus because he's dead. They get, they get everybody up to the, to the hill um, in verse 16 of Matthew 28. So let's, let's read that together. It says, I have a really awkward page turn in this passage, by the way, so just bear with me. It's the worst when you're trying to teach from a passage of the Bible that's broken into a page turn. So verse 16, it says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain that Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they saw the resurrected Jesus. They're like, last time we saw you, you know, you, you had a spear being put through your side. Now they see him walking and talking. When they saw him, they worshiped him, obviously, right? If you see somebody come back from the dead who claimed to be God, you're like, okay, this guy's God. I'm going to worship him. But then there were some who had their doubts. And some other passages of the gospel talk go into a little more detail about it. There's one guy, he's known for the, as the guy who doubts, and he kind of gets a bad rap. His name was Thomas. Um, but there's nothing wrong with asking questions, right? Uh, so, so even Thomas, who doubted at first, we learned that he became one of the most devoted followers of Jesus, was actually killed. He was actually put to death because he wouldn't disown Jesus. Um, so some doubted, but their doubts were dealt with. And then in verse 18, Jesus' final words to these disciples before he leaves. So, like, some of you, your parents, like, as you're running out the door, they yell like that one thing they don't want you to forget. You know what I mean? Like, take out the trash on your way out. Like, they tell you important things. I'm going to pick you up at X place or at X time, and you really want to listen to that, right? The final words are important, and these are Jesus' final words. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I'm going to keep that verse on the screen here because we're going to look at this and figure out what is the most important part of Jesus' final words. Anybody here know what language the New Testament was written in? We read it in English. Anybody know what? Just shout it out. Greek. Yeah, Greek. The Old, somebody said Hebrew, and you're close because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. So Jesus' words were originally recorded in Greek. There's some super smart guys who were able to translate the Greek into the English so that we can read a translation of what Jesus had originally said. Sometimes Greek is a little hard to translate. This command that he gave, gives in, in, in verse 19 when he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, it looks like it's a two-part command, doesn't it, in English? It looks like the command is go and make disciples. I, I'm try, I'm, uh, from what I heard in my tag group anyway, you're overwhelmed with school stuff, so I'm not going to get too nerdy on you and too schooling, like <laughs> too teacher-esque on you tonight, but I just I I want to point this out. The word for go in the Greek was a participle. Now, I know you don't even want to think about English. I'm not going to ask you what a participle is, okay? 
A participle is a verbal noun or adjective. So I could say about myself, running across the auditorium, he gave everybody high fives. What was the verb? I gave everybody, right? I gave high fives. The participle was running across the auditorium. It was describing an action that was associated with the verb. Are you following me? Okay, this word for going, do you like my jump? This word for going is a participle. So a really good reading or understanding of this verse would, is therefore, as you are going, make disciples. So that helps us understand that Jesus' command wasn't to go and make disciples. Jesus' command was to make disciples. So I'm not going to ask, don't raise your hand in here. How many of you are a Christian? You don't raise your hand, but just think about it. How many of you are a Christian? You, have, you know you're saved. You believed in Jesus. You know he took your sins away. Jesus is calling you to do this one thing, and it's supposed to mark your life. Go to the next slide, Jeff, because I'm going to show you what this word for make disciples looks like in Greek. Can anybody pronounce that? I, I asked Wyatt earlier if he could pronounce it, and I think he did a pretty good job. Can, you, can I put you on a spot? What? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. It's mate tusate. So look at the person next to you and say, mate tusate. So... You, you, you had to trust me, you had to trust me that I wasn't telling you to say a curse word in another language, right? Um, so, <laughs> um, that word, that word in, in the Greek, we're, we're going to move past the Greek in like two seconds, okay? Bear with me, okay? Okay? It's going to really help if you understand this. Are you all on my team? You all with me? Okay. This word, this verb, this is the root. This tells you what kind of verb it is. You had to learn about this, and you probably put it out of your mind, but remember there's different tenses. There's past, things that happen in the past. There's present, there's future, and then there's all these like present perfect and all this other stuff that you learned about once, got it on the test, and you're done with it. Well, the Greek has this tense, and it was written in it. It's called the aorist tense. It sounds super intelligent when you say it, so just say it one time so you sound intelligent. Aorist, okay? It's kind of a past tense, but it's not really a past tense. You know when you go to the parade, like Barbersville Fall Fest, small town USA, you know, you go to the parade, and you're standing there, and you get to pretty much watch one float at a time, right? And you watch that float, then you see that float, then you see that float, and every float you see that is in the present. So you can see that in the present, you can remember the floats that had already passed by, and then you can look down that way and see what's coming in the future. The aorist tense isn't any of that. The aorist tense, when it comes to a parade, is like you're in a helicopter. And you're flying over the top of the parade, and you can see the whole parade with one view. You follow me? That's what that tense is like. So what Jesus is saying when he says make disciples, he's not just looking at this one particular point in time where he says, for the next like you know, 10 years, make disciples, and then do whatever you feel like after that. What he's saying is you're, the whole rest of your life is supposed to be consumed with this one thing. Because I'm, I'm in a helicopter, and I'm looking at the whole of your life, the, the entirety of your life, and your whole life should be defined by this thing. So it's written in the aorist 
It's imperative too. Jesus didn't say, hey guys, it'd be really nice if when I leave, you could do something for me. Would you guys mind like making a few disciples? He didn't say that. He said, make disciples. So if we want to walk in obedience to God, if you want to please God, you're going to do what God is, is telling you, Jesus is telling you to do. It's in the active tense. A lot of times Jesus or God will give a command in the passive tense. He'll, he'll say, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Pretty much saying, let me transform your mind. But this is in the active, saying, you make disciples. It's a choice you make every day. And here's the one that's really important. It's in the plural. We ate a lot of pizza tonight. I think we, we had 14 Husson's big boy pizzas. Um, that's, a, that's a lot of pizza. Do we have any leftovers for, for after youth group? Yeah? We have some leftovers for after youth group, so you guys are hungry. You're more than welcome to it. So, um, we, everybody, and I'm sure you've done this before, is that you gather around a pizza. Everybody has a different way of eating pizza, you know. But you gather around a pizza, and if these guys right here were all gathered around a pizza, and I said, eat the pizza, I only pointed at you. I said that in what's called the first or the, sorry, the third person singular, okay? I'm only talking to one person. But what if I go like this and I say, you eat the pizza? I'm not just talking to him, right? I'm talking to the whole group. That's, boom, goes the dynamite. Very good. Wow, okay. Um, actually, it'd be second person plural. Sorry, you, that was close, you're close. Because that would be they eat the pizza. But you, in the second person plural, when Jesus was giving this command, here we go, here's the co and the commission. We're getting ready to put the co in the commission. Look at the person next to you say, I'm getting ready to put this co in the commission. Okay? Um, Jesus' great commission was written in the second person plural, meaning he was not speaking to an individual. He was speaking to a group. It would be like him saying, you guys make disciples together. So when Jesus was talking to his followers, here's where it connects to your life. When Jesus was talking to his followers, he was not saying, go do your own thing. Jesus was saying, you guys need to work on this together. And as a youth group, this thing that Jesus has called us to, to make disciples of all nations, by the way. And you may say, well, Matt, there's only one nation here, and it's America. Boom. Um, that, that word for nations is sometimes better understood to be this. People who are on the outside looking in. So what he's saying is, not just to every ethnic group, but to everyone who is not a disciple, you need to make them into a disciple. You need to show them my way, how to be saved, and how to walk in me. So there you go. That's the command. But Jesus doesn't just give us a what. He gives us a how. And here's where it's going to get super, super on your level. Um, he gives us three hows, and they're all those. Remember I talked about the participles? They're actually called, it's, it, it's a word that sounds gross, but it's really not. And I talked about this, Adina. They're called dangling participles. Okay, so, so, you know, it sounds like, you know, man, I got to go see a doctor, I got to go see a doctor about this. I've got like a dangling participle hanging out of my nose, you know, but it's not, you know, it's not gross. It's a literary term and there are three of them in this passage. Stick with me. There are three of them in this passage. 
The first one we talked about, and it's at, as we're supposed to make the disciples as we are going. Jesus said, as you're going, make disciples. It's interesting that the words that he gave right before he said that, he said this, he said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So God, the Father, gave Jesus authority to work on earth, and before Jesus left, he transferred that authority to us. Have you ever been on a team where you get in the huddle, you know, like everybody's here in the huddle, you know, and then the coach comes and he puts his hand in the huddle, and he gives some final instructions, and then you do your one, two, three, team, you know, and, and then you go, and the coach has given you his authority and has given you his game plan. Get in your row and just make a huddle with everybody in there. I just want to make sure you're listening. Just, just, just make a huddle. Get in your row and just make a huddle. Put your hands together. Guys, this is your chance. Touch that girl's hand. No, um, okay? Now everybody go one, two, three, go! Okay. Wow. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Wow. So some of you really went for it. So some of you really went for it. All right. Um, just, so here, and when we were talking in our tag group, one of the things that was mentioned is, why don't we share our faith more? And a, a lot of people mentioned the big F word. They mentioned fear. And one of the reasons that we don't like or we're afraid or we're just, we don't share the gospel is we're afraid of what's, what's going to happen. We're afraid that the conversation is going to go weird. We're afraid that we're going to be rejected. We're afraid we're not going to have the words to say. Jesus says this. He says that he has given you his authority. What do we know about teaching with Jesus' authority? In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says that people, when they heard Jesus teaching, they were amazed because he taught as one who had authority. And he gives that authority to us. So the first posture that we learn is we have the posture of Jesus' authority. When we, this, this can be taken two ways. When we speak, if you're a Christian, when you speak, you speak for Jesus. So it could be taken two ways. When you're a Christian, as you speak, you speak for Jesus, or as a Christian, when you speak or you snap, you snap for Jesus. So, can, would Jesus put his stamp of approval on the way that you are communicating for him? So it's, it's kind of challenging too, right? Are the words that are coming out of your mouth, are the words that are leaving your phone, are they honoring to God, and are you really doing a good job of speaking on behalf? Because here's the thing. If you're a Christian, whether you want to or not, people are going to take your words as being Christian. So when they saw you at that party on Friday night, they're saying, oh, she's a Christian, and she's doing that. Or he's a Christian, and he's doing that. And some of you didn't even have to say anything. As you are going, where are we going? Some of us, it's really hard to go because we're afraid. It stretches us out of our comfort zone. Uh, one of the things I love is when we go on mission trips together. So some of you that have been on mission trips, we do uncomfortable things, don't we? And we go into uncomfortable places. And you know what you learn at the, the back end of that is you get bold, more bold because you've, you've been pushed beyond your comfort zone and you've learned how to go places that you normally would not go. Why did Jesus say to go? Because that's the only way we're going to reach people. Why did he say to go together? Well, I think there are a few reasons. Um, one, there's safety in numbers. If you look, Jesus always sent his people out at least two by two. Um, I was talking to John about the time he and I went out two by two 
um, when we were teenagers, we were in the youth group here, and our church was doing this thing. We were trying to knock on every door in Barbersville, and invite them to church, share the gospel with them. So John and I, where's John and I, we, I mean, John did not have the beard. I mean, you know, he didn't have that spectacular beard back then. Um, but he and I went out, so they, they paired us up with, um, with, with a guy from our church, um, an adult, and he drove us. We were in Guyana States, and we were going door to door, and, and we were scared. So the guy that we were with, he was one of those guys, he had no problem talking. He's, I don't know if I should use names or not, he's a local you know, radio talk show host, has no problem talking. And he was, I mean, so, so he said, you guys can be our silent, you can be my silent partner. You know, you can just go with me, pray with me. So he's knocking on doors and no, having no trouble with conversation. Halfway through, he's like, okay, you guys need to do it on your own now. He said, you guys go to this house, I'll go to this house. So he goes to the house next door, we go... I'm not kidding you. The first house we knock on the door, the guy pulls a gun on us. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was drunk. He pulls a gun on us. I'm like backing up. I see John like diving and rolling behind a car. So I, the, the person who was with us was at the next house. So I yelled over, hey, to, uh, hey, we need some help. And I kid you not, this is what the guy said. He said, will you shut up? I'm trying to win this guy to the Lord as he's talking to somebody. But John and I, we went together because there's not just safety in numbers. Um, there's accountability together. Um, we hold each other accountable. Um, we help each other and meet each other's shortcomings. Some of you, you're quiet, and it's hard for you to share the gospel. You know what you need? You need a loud friend. And you can be the, yeah, any loud friends in here just willing to admit it? All the loud people are always willing to admit it, right? Yeah. So, so, so some of you quiet people need to find some of these loud people. You make a pair. You're peanut butter and jelly for the gospel. It's the co-mission. Okay. So as you are going, the next dangling participle, you ready? We make disciples how? By baptizing them. It says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, this was a special day for me because this is when I baptized my daughter, Addison. Uh, she's six years old. Um, more special than that was the day that she accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. She put her faith in Jesus. She, um, it, it, <laughs> I don't know if I should admit to this. It was a day, she and April skipped church because we were getting ready to head out of town. So they were at home on a Sunday morning, uh, you know, playing hooky. And they were live streaming, so that makes it okay. And <laughs> unless it's no excuses uh, month that we're having. But, um, and, and, and Addison just said, I'm ready to, I don't know exactly what she said, because I didn't get to be there for it. I was at church. Um, but, um, but she said, I want <laughs> no, I wasn't trying to be you know, condemning. But she, she asked, April, she, April showed her from the Bible, didn't pressure her or anything, but she just, she knew she needed to be saved. Uh, about a year and a half later, she was talking about, Mommy, Daddy, I want to be baptized. 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 And then that day, we baptized her. And um, it, was, it was beautiful because it represented how she, even though she was a young child, trust me, I know I'm her dad, uh, she was not a perfect child. She still isn't a perfect child. But that when she was saved, the bat does baptism save you, by the way? No. But it was a representation that when she was saved, that her old self, her old sin nature, was, her flesh was put to death, and she was raised to a new life. And when she did that, 
It was a big deal. She was scared to be baptized. You know, when we were, we, were, we were going up there, I was holding on to her. When I took her away, she goes, Daddy, I'm a little scared. She goes, I don't know. And I said, yeah, I didn't want to put any pressure on her. So I was like, do you, do you not want to do this? She's like, no, I need to do this, Daddy, is what she said. So we went in there. We did it. And then went on the way back. She's like, Daddy, I was so scared, but I had to do it. And it's scary. I know some of you are you're, you're a little nervous about being baptized because it's, you got to get in front of people, which is not your favorite thing to do, get in front of people. Um, you have to get your hair wet, and some of you, you're very particular about your hair. Um, you have to put on one of those baptismal gowns, and it just doesn't, cla- it clashes with your eyeshadow or whatever. I don't know. It, it, and you got to get in front of all those people. I understand. But why does Jesus say, it's interesting that he, does, he assumes that we're going to lead people to salvation in Jesus. Why does he say baptize them? It's because this is what baptism signified back then. I believe it still signifies it now. It's that I care more about being obedient to Jesus than I care about what people will think of me. So part of making disciples, part of the mission that God has given, isn't just to say, hey, you want to be saved? Okay, say this prayer. Hey, see ya. I got another notch in my belt. I'll put another tally mark on my sheet. I got somebody saved. It's that we're supposed to come. I don't know why I'm picking on you, man. But we're <laughs> he's like, shoot me now. Um, you're supposed to come alongside someone, even after they put their faith in Christ, teach them how to follow Jesus. And the first step is to be baptized. So for, for some of us, we need to come alongside people who are younger in the faith and help them to be bold for Jesus. Um, some of you, I know you didn't like the fact that I talked about baptism because you need to be baptized. And I know you're nervous about it. So I've come up with another, another way that we can do this that maybe will be helpful. Some of you have a friend that you is like your security blanket. Anybody got a friend that's your security blanket? Chances are you're, sit, you're sitting with them right now because they're your security blanket. If you haven't been baptized and you would like to be baptized but you're nervous, I will let you take your security blanket friend with you into the baptistry and have them put a gown on too. So for all of you security blanket friends who have a friend that needs to be baptized, just go ahead and put, give them a little nudge in the, in the side right now and say, I'll go with you. Okay? So... Baptism doesn't save, but it's, it's a big step. It's a big step. And we need to be leading people to take, to, to put their faith in Jesus and to take a big step. And here's the final one. Final dangler. We, as you're going, baptizing them, teaching them to observe, or teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Next week, we're starting that. Jesus gave specific commands and a whole new way of life. People who were Christians, right when Jesus left and Christianity was kind of getting going and people were believing in Jesus, they didn't call it Christianity. They didn't even call them Christians. They were called this. This is what they were called. They were called people of the way. Because it wasn't just a religion that you put on yourself. It was a whole new way of life. And Jesus says, teaching them to obey most of what I wrote in the Bible. Is that what it says? It says, obey everything. Does it say teach them to memorize everything that's in the Bible? What's the key word there? I've heard it said like this, that the average Christian is about a thousand Bible verses overweight. You say, what? It means that just like when you eat more calories than you burn, you get unfit. You know what I mean? See that? I've been eating a lot of DQ this past week. Um, When we consume more Bible than we live out, 
we get spiritually unhealthy. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.